All right, welcome back to the Canadian Gun Vault Behind the Vault Door. My name is Mark Marley. I'll be your podcast host for tonight's episode. And, uh, you know, just looking out, uh, you know, outdoors today, I knew it was going to be a good day to get out shooting. Uh, You know, for the people that see me in the videos uh, and or, you know, watch us on Instagram and Facebook, uh, we we are not shooting all the time. (laughs) It may look like that, but it's, uh, it's not the case. Uh, I try and get photography done on specific days if I can. Uh, it is really kind of fly by the seat of your pants. I seize opportunities wherever I can to uh, showcase uh, the uh, great firearms within the Canadian firearm community. I come across, you know, things from time to time uh, throughout the course of my travels that just kind of spring spring up. Uh, you know, things sort of happen uh, very quickly if you aren't on the ball in the Canadian firearm community, you can kind of miss the boat on things, uh, you know, like from good deals uh, to like just being in the right place at the right time to get what you need. Uh, You know, a Whitney pistol came by us a little while ago and uh, couldn't resist the opportunity to, uh, you know, own one of these. And if you've never seen the Whitney pistol before, uh, the Whitney Wolverine manufactured between uh, 1956 and 1957, they only made it for a couple of years. Uh, this really amazing piece, uh, you know, uh, came our way. And if you've never seen one before, it looks like a Buck Rogers ray gun. It's, it's this really cool kind of looking, uh, you know, sloped, uh, with a steep grip angle, uh, kind of firearm. And, you know, even, you know, back then it looked futuristic, but even now it, it still has kind of a, a space age sort of ray gun kind of look to it. Uh, although it's cool and vintage at the same time, uh, you can really tell it's, you know, late fifties, uh, you know, early sixties kind of Buck Rogers sort of form. And, you know, to shoot one of these things, the triggers are fantastically crisp. Uh, but, uh, they, uh, do you know suffer from uh, personality quirks as most vintage firearms do and uh, this firing pin broke and the parts went missing <laughs> I mean which can happen uh, when you uh, when you come into contact with a number of uh, different firearm parts uh, you'll you'll occasionally misplace something and of course uh, I misplaced the firing pin parts that I had left and so since it's a very specific shape uh, you know I've been on the lookout for Whitney Wolverine uh, firing pins, but since they only made 15,000 of these guns altogether, uh, you know, there, there isn't an overabundance of parts out there. And, and so to wait for one to turn up kind of turned into a lengthy uh, sort of affair, and I saw someone posting uh, a picture of one. Uh, Durham Outdoors, uh, you know, put one up, and I and I, I couldn't resist contacting them and saying, like, look, do you do you have access to that pistol? And speaking to the uh, young man on the phone, great guy, uh, you know, it, it came to light very quickly that you know he had the ability to access the pistol, and I, I was very excited uh, because I told him I said I'd really like to uh, trace the outline of the firing pin, if you wouldn't mind, you know. Uh, you know, I'd love to have a look at the pistol for a second, disassemble it, uh, take a part out of it and uh, outline it so that I can have another one made. And, and he didn't object to it at all, which was really fantastic. And, you know, I thought, oh, God, you know, he's, it, this is a godsend. And, you know, he's nice enough to meet up with me uh, and, and do this. And, and so, of course, we, we agree on a location to meet, uh, you know, a, a place where it's... Uh, allowed uh, that the pistol be transported to and you know I took it apart and I traced the outline and I got out my micrometer and you know I measured the the, the you know the uh, the width of it 
uh, the thickness of the firing pin. And I was very, uh, very excited to see that it was kind of uniform all throughout. And I thought this won't be too difficult to make, uh, you know. And, and so I was really happy to know that uh, this firearm would run again. Uh, because there's nothing worse than a broken gun, uh, you know, sitting in your cabinet. And so to, to have the opportunity to uh, meet this young man, uh, discuss some of the things that I thought were important with him, uh, you know, to share kind of the ideas and, and at the same time, you know, express to one another, uh, you know, how, how really uh, exciting it was to uh, be involved in vintage firearms. And of course, we discussed the design and I, I really, uh, I was really fascinated by how much he knew about it. Uh, you know, this is something I had done quite a bit of reading on. So to see somebody else kind of sharing uh, that, um, that kind of passion, you know, for a design and an enthusiasm uh, for being a member of the firearm community. I was really, I was really happy, you know, to uh, spend a little time with this young man and shake his hand. And uh, of course, Coach Nick was with me at the time, and uh, he had an opportunity to meet him as well. And uh, you know, we made our way around the show, uh, you know, following that, and and came across some some really great things. And you know, I I was really quite fascinated uh, by, you know, the kind of uh, belongings that, that accumulate uh, and, and in people's possession are some fantastic collectibles and if you spend any time you know walking around the gun shows uh, you know we made our way and uh, you know certainly enjoyed ourselves uh, going through there uh, Monica throws a great show uh, it really has been fascinating uh, you know to see the evolution of the gun shows uh, you know things are things are changing you know you're seeing a lot more younger faces in there and I really like that uh, you know it, it tells me that you know there has been a shift and uh, that young people are uh, experiencing a kind of a renewed sort of interest in uh, vintage collectibles uh, in the firearm community is really kind of taking notice, uh, you know, of how cool these things are. And of course, you know, the, pl the prices are, are reflecting that. Uh, they continue to climb. Uh, I keep telling people, you know, there's certain things you want. Uh, <laughs> you know, get them all you can. Uh, some things are like incredibly uh, low priced still, uh, you know, other things, uh, people are starting to realize their values and they're beginning to, uh, you know, uh, fight, uh, for, for ownership of these types of items, you know, by bidding, uh, and engaging in those kind of wars. Uh, it's, it's really exciting to see people that <laughs> interested in owning these things. Um, and, and, and for me, uh, you know, uh, deep down inside, I have just this incredible appreciation for the history and for the technology and, um, most importantly, that, you know, every single firearm is an expression uh, of someone's uh, idea of the perfect, uh, you know, gun. And, and to see all the differences uh, in the way they operate and, and all the different finishes and types. And, I mean, it's, it, it really is this incredibly uh, wonderful and endless world of, of things that you can, you know, kind of appreciate. And so, you know, having said that, I, I, I managed I managed to make my way around the show without thankfully buying too much. Uh, you know, there's there's like forget guns. Like, I mean, if you want books, reading material, uh, you know, if, if you if you're really excited about, uh, you know, touching pieces of history, uh, there's there's so much stuff there that people bring that would just blow your mind. I really do encourage people to get to the gun shows. Um, if you spend a little bit of time there, you'll get to speak to some of the older gentlemen who really know their stuff. Uh, you know, and again, if you uh, find anything at all interesting uh, about firearms, uh, chances are you can find it at the gun show. Anyway, uh, bring right along. I, I like to sometimes recap uh, some things to get done on Instagram because I know people ask a lot of questions and I can't get back to everybody. It's not, uh, it's not always quite that easy. 
you know, a couple a couple of posts I put up though got quite a bit of attention. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that the Beretta 93R was a bit of a fan favorite. You know, a lot of people sent me private messages on this one, and uh, you know, certainly uh, we all wish it was available. Those of us that know what it is, uh, there's this uh, Beretta pistol. Looks like a 92, kinda. Uh, but it's got this uh, larger sort of uh, frame uh, where it meets the uh, the front uh, uh, of the trigger guard, and there's this fold down handle that you hold on to, and it's 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 a machine pistol. It shoots three round bursts, although some people uh, convert them right over to full auto completely uh, in the U.S. and and in where well, one of the few places that they're allowed to enjoy this sort of thing. Uh, you know, class three title firearms, an opportunity to shoot a 93R, because we were talking about unicorn guns. Uh, everybody's got theirs. And if you aren't familiar with the term, it's, you know, it's that gun you never see that you want so badly and, or there aren't, you know, hardly any of them out there or they're so ridiculously priced. Uh, you know, I would love a 45 caliber, uh, Luger. I think that, you know, uh, that would be really kind of exciting, uh, you know, to shoot one of those trials pistols. Uh, from 19, you know, 10 or uh, the year that you know they selected, uh, you know, the, the contract for the military that would become, you know, the uh, the 1911 pistol. Uh, there was a Luger made in 45. You know, that would be pretty high on my list too. Uh, an opportunity to shoot that would be very cool. The 93R would definitely be at high on my list, uh, if not the highest. Uh, you know, I, I've fired Glock 18s and uh, I've never had an opportunity to fire a Stetchkin. That would be a close second. Uh, people keep asking me about, you know, favorite guns. Uh, I always tell people they're like kids. You know, you, you, you love something about uh, each and every one of them. Uh, it's difficult to kind of put your finger on it. Uh, but, like, I mean, certain guns are standouts. Uh, you know, to, to hear from people saying that they love the Ruger, you know, um, the Ruger Mark III and IV designs, that, that's something I hear, you know, quite a bit of. And, uh, you know, and with good reason, uh, and I bring this up because, uh, quite often I get asked, you know, what's a great, uh, target pistol for me and my wife, my girlfriend and I, uh, you know, I I'm going shopping for, you know, my first target pistol. What do you suggest? Uh, you know, it's, it's probably very cliche to always tell people they should go to, you know, a 22 target pistol for their first handgun. Uh, a lot of people outgrow it pretty quickly uh, in some respects, want to move on to something else. You come back to it. I, trust me, if you spend enough time target shooting, you will come back to 22 uh, and you will learn to enjoy it. Uh, it. It's not as cheap as it used to be to, to shoot. I remember, you know, 50 rounds costing, you know, $1.25 and now they're, you know, much closer to, you know, seven and eight dollars. Uh, but but a 22 pistol is always a wise investment. So you might as well, you know, make uh, make it a good one. And, and the Ruger series pistols are really great for that. Um, you know, the, the, again, the, the grip angle is, is just really uh, well suited for, for most new shooters and the triggers are good. And, you know, the sights, uh, the sights are very clear and, you know, there's not too much recoil coming from a 22. And so it really is a great place to start building the fundamentals for becoming a good, you know, pistol shooter. And so, you know, hearing that people enjoy that gun and, uh, you know, some people I've, I've recommended it to uh, have been really pleased. You know, definitely, definitely take a look at the Rubers. Uh, got a lot of attention this uh, SVT and Mosin the Gant picture. Uh, you know, I took this one up in Bancroft, and I was out uh, out there, and it was, you know, of course, uh, a great day. Spent a little time with Brass Love and Brunette. Uh, you know, she was out there firing her new. 
uh, F-12 Typhoon shotgun. And for the people out there that haven't seen that one yet, uh, I'll talk about it a little more later. Uh, people have been asking me quite a few questions about this one. I'm, I'm kind of happy to tell you that I've had some personal experience with it now so I can uh, comment on it a little bit more carefully. I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing full-on review for that rifle. Uh, shotgun rather but looking at these two rifles uh while i was on this trip uh the svt40 and the most in the gant uh a lot of people you know uh made comments said like wow love them i'll take both and you know they're really cool guns uh completely underrated guns Mosins are still in that category as far as i'm concerned you know svt40s for the people that you know, haven't seen them. It looks like the illegitimate love child of an M1 Garand and an SKS. Uh, it's got a detachable box magazine. It's a big, long rifle, and, you know, it fires, you know, the same round as the Mosin, uh, that 7.62 by 54, uh, which which is a really, you know, fantastic round. It's really, uh, very, very flat shooting. Uh, you know, they, they used to call it the Russian 30-odd-6. It's, it's a lot like that cartridge and performs pretty much the same way. Well, this, this gas-operated, uh, you know, semi-automatic box magazine fed you know rifle was originally you know um manufactured to hold 10 rounds it's pinned to five in canada so it's the same as everything else and so but it's it's just this really cool rifle and it's got you know the this uh venting uh you know on on a a gas cover uh, a shroud that you know is kind of cool and then depending on what type you get you know there's a, a number of different muzzle brakes it was actually you know the really the first uh, you know, military long arm uh, in World War II, I think, that was using a, a muzzle brake and an efficient one at that. It actually worked pretty well. Uh, I had an opportunity to fire uh, one of these things, uh, you know, several times uh, over the course of the last year, actually. And uh, great guns, you know, uh, considering the cartridge they shoot, they're, they're really easy on you. And, and the semi-automatic operation and gas operation really does, I guess, soak up uh, some of that, uh, some of that jump, you might associate with a you know the Mosin, uh, you know really a fun gun to shoot. Sat on the racks uh, at local gun stores at two ninety nine for for years. Like I, I remember one sitting uh, on the fishing uh, fishing world uh, in Hamilton, sitting on their shelf. You know for a couple of years, I went there and I kept seeing it there, and, and I really didn't know too much about it, quite honestly. Um, this was only about four or five years ago now that I think about it, and probably yeah, probably for a couple of years it sat up there. And nobody really knew what it was. And now you see people fighting for them. If you can find one for less than, you know, $700, you're doing pretty good. Uh, they're really great guns. Uh, they were really kind of advanced for their time with this, you know, uh, variable gas system. So you can kind of adjust it uh, to meet your needs. Uh, you know, again, detachable box magazine. Firing a pretty powerful cartridge and certainly, you know, from the thick of World War II. Um, you know, the one I fired was from 1941, I believe. It belonged to a good friend of mine, Gary's. And, you know, I fell in love with that thing. Uh, you know, I think he offered to sell it to me once, but uh, I was a dummy and passed. But this, this gun is a fantastic gun to shoot. And it is kind of the natural uh, evolution from bolt-action guns to semi-autos. Uh, really, like I said, you know, ahead of its time with a muzzle brake and uh, a lot of features that, you know, would have made it a real... Um, real force to be reckoned with on the battlefield. At one point, they stopped making them. I think it was cheaper to make Mosins, and they realized that. Uh, but they, they, they was a point in the war where they were providing them to the troops, and then they stopped. Uh, but, but really great guns, and a really fantastic part, uh, you know, of World War II military history. And then you got this Mosin Nagant. 
that is, you know, still they're coming in, you know, I believe at about two and a half hundred here in Canada. Uh, there, there are guys in the U.S. that would love to have access to Russian battle rifles from, you know, World War One and World War Two at, you know, sub two hundred dollars uh, a pop. But like, you know, th- their their importation laws are such that they don't see these things that often. And yet we have them in great abundance uh, here in Canada. And a lot of people kind of just overlook them and say, well, you know, not really, not really a good gun. I mean, it's, you know, I remember when they were $99, quite honestly, I, I thought they were a steal then. Um, you know, now, you know, they've come up in price a bit. But I mean, still, by, by comparison, when you look at like Lee Infields, Lee Infields were in the same boat um, probably uh, 20 years ago. You know, people just looked at them as old rifles and said, well, you know, who really cares? Let's chop the stocks off it. That may make a good, you know, cheap moose gun. And people were people were doing that sort of thing, and uh, you know, these rifles now are, are in my mind, uh, you know, well set uh, on the road and path towards uh, collectible status. If you have one, you know, take good care of it. Uh, you know, don't use it to open doors. Uh, I've heard it, uh, you know, like the SKS, you know, a lot of people call these Russian rifles, you know, like Russian doorstops. You know, I think that they have a great deal of value. There's a a fantastic history connected to them. Uh, The Russian people uh, fought bravely uh, during World War II. Uh, In fact, they fought fiercely with substandard equipment at times. And, you know, while everybody was switching over to semi-autos, they were still using bolt guns and doing pretty well. Uh, there, there definitely has to be a great deal of uh, respect given up to the Russian people uh, for their, uh, you know, their ferocity in combat. And why wouldn't we celebrate that by, you know, owning these great articles of history? Got my hands on this uh, Cavalry Carbine K11. And, and for the people out there that uh, perhaps watched our video on YouTube of the K31 rifle, the K11 would have been the uh, predecessor and the uh, model that would have come before the K31, which is this, it's a bolt-action rifle, but it's got this uh, large cocking knob on the back, and you just sort of pull it straight backwards. Uh, and it's this, what they call a straight pull type design and it eliminates the need to kind of lift the handle up and backwards and then you know forwards again and then down uh in that uh, that sequence that you so uh, so typically uh, equate to bolt action rifles you just pull on the swiss rifles you just pull straight back and straight forward and it's a it's a really easy uh method of operation takes a little getting used to if you're used to bolt guns but fantastic guns uh match grade ammunition uh you know was only ever produced for these guns uh so if you come across surplus it's match grade uh, and out of these guns, it's it's like a laser beam to the target. They're really cool pieces. Well, I guess um, you know the you know K11 uh, or the Schmidt Rubin, if if memory serves me correctly, the same rifle. Uh, the Schmidt Rubin uh, also came in a uh, a carbine version. And I guess I guess in in this scabbard that would uh, you know. I guess connect to the horse saddle or to the to the rider um, these were cavalry use uh, designated and 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 to see that great rifle kind of in this large leather scabbard I mean it was passed along to me so that I could photograph it uh, I'm certainly not going to shoot it uh, without asking first uh, but what a great rifle and and what a great setup you know having it in that scabbard uh, really and I mean I, I can't wait to get into the markings I'm looking forward to photographing that one uh, a little more a little more closely in the coming months, uh, but there's uh, there's definitely a lot of history connected to all these items I keep coming into contact with, and I'm going to keep you know dropping them on you guys on the Instagram and the Facebook. If you'll keep watching, uh, it's it's really been very exciting for me in many ways. 
uh, you know, learning about these things, uh, having an opportunity to pull a trigger on them, uh, getting to meet the owners, uh, you know, just again, uh, the firearm community does this uh, terrific job of always uh, providing me with, uh, you know, something new and exciting to, uh, to contend with. Uh, really, really been a, a fantastic week. Uh, moving right along, what's uh, what's going on politically? Well, it uh, looks like Doug Ford got uh, <laughs> elected to uh, PC party leadership here in Ontario. I, I know there's a lot of people out there that are skeptical about seeing a Ford in office again. I, you know, I, I thought about it. I mean, there may be some legitimate arguments there too, but you know, I gave it a little bit of thought and I thought, well, it can't be any worse than the circus we have currently in power. <laughs> you know, anything's got to be better than that. You know, uh, you know, heading into elections 2019, I really want to see uh, a big shift. And, and I'm thinking I'm starting to see it. Like, I, you know, I want to believe that, you know, as I scroll through uh, all my Facebook, uh, you know, news feeds and, and, you know, go through all the different sites that I usually go to, uh, I'd like to think that there's a shift. Uh, you know, I want to believe that it's not just the sites I go to. I, I want to believe that Canada's kind of waking up. Uh, to to the possibility that maybe we may have made a mistake uh, electing uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, the Liberal Party into power and, and certainly giving them uh, a majority government and some of the things that we're seeing might, you know, it might warrant, well, you know, hold on a second kind of like conversation at this point. I, I'm watching some things happening that uh, defy all logical explanation. I'm seeing embarrassing things on, on, on a daily basis. Uh, I saw a great comedy mem. Uh, that said, you know, it's been zero days since he's done something to embarrass all of Canada. Uh, you know, like, it, it just can't seem to continue at this pace. Uh, it just seems like at every turn, uh, there is a poor decision being made uh, that people are, you know, very unhappy with uh, our leadership's uh, decision-making process. I, I'm, I'm really thinking at this point that, uh, you know, uh, whoever we elect, uh, I think anybody's got to be better than what we currently have in office so uh again you know uh, don't be so hard on the ford family i uh you know i'm willing to bet that you know some people have said well he's a thug it, you know well you know if it if it's a thug that we need uh, to get uh this uh, country turned around a little bit then hey you know what i hope they can channel all the inner thug they got because uh, i definitely like to see some change i don't know about you guys if you if you'd like to see someone in office other than justin trudeau in the uh, in the coming years then we all got to get a little more active uh, certainly, we got to complain a little more uh, to our members of parliament about the things that we're seeing that don't make any sense. Uh, if for no other reason than to let them know that, you know, quite a few people out here are unhappy with it, I would encourage everybody to express yourself in a composed and controlled way to your member of parliament. Don't lose, don't lose your marbles and blame them for all, all the ridiculous things you're seeing, but express to them that you're very unhappy and you really can't get behind anybody that supports what's been going on. And, and I mean, like shake them up a little bit. I mean, I think they need it. I think they got to hear it. Uh, you know, all together too often, good people stay quiet. And I mean, that's a big mistake. So that's about all the time I have for uh, this evening's podcast. Uh, I'm going to be getting up early tomorrow. We're going to be doing some filming. Got a few great ones um, online. I, I believe we're going to be shooting a K98 and a BCL 102. Might try and fit a vintage pistol in there someplace, but I'm really looking forward to uh, getting you guys uh, some new film uh, footage uh, to watch on YouTube. I know you guys have been asking. I'm definitely going to 
delivering uh, Dave's ready to work very hard on the uh, camera work and the editing and everything else that he does that makes this all possible uh, I want to thank everybody again for watching uh, liking and subscribing uh, definitely spread us around uh, on Instagram and on Facebook we love that uh, if you can share the podcast that's great too and uh, for everybody that's bought merchandise thank you so much again I really do appreciate it I'm really looking forward to seeing all the colors out there in the spring including uh, the CGV logo uh, in as many places as uh, I hope I'm going to see it in uh, as I travel around uh, throughout the course of the summer from uh, club to club anyway thanks again folks uh, for everything that you do that makes uh, makes me smile every day I really do appreciate the input uh, our community is growing and definitely our voice is growing with it so have a great night folks and as always Canada don't forget to shoot straight stay safe